Father, I pray that your word would go forth in power today, that you'd give me a mouth to preach and us all ears to hear and meditate upon your word. As we pray this in Jesus' most precious and powerful name. Amen. Please be seated. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Proverbs 22, verse 1. This uh, word of Scripture, uh, this proverbial wisdom about names, um, tell, uh, tells us that names are powerful. They're more powerful, they're more worthy at times than gold, silver, and riches. Names are important. Names uh, in human experience and in just, in, in just naturally, natural human society, we realize that names are important. They're seen as a reputation. Someone wants to uphold their name, it's their reputation. Brand, uh, uh, names are seen as brands, and uh, people know and recognize names. That's why companies spend so much money and time and effort with brand awareness to come up with the best name, to promote the name, to let it be seen as, um, as worthy of, of, say, your money uh, for a business or a company. Names are also, they also convey character at times. When someone talks about their name, they don't want their name besmirched or something along those lines. Names are important, and we see this throughout even U.S. history. Think of the big names in American history the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts, the Kennedys in Winston-Salem, the Reynolds family, how names are seen and revered and honored for uh, what lies behind the name. And names, some, these names just list, listed, some of them have negative connotations, but many of them have positive ones too. The institutions built by names. Names are important, and this is especially true in scriptures, and most true concerning the name of God himself. Today is the eighth day of Christmas, and eight days after Jesus was born, or on the eighth day after Jesus was born, he was circumcised and named. We see this in today's text in Luke chapter 2. And so we celebrate the feast of the circumcision and the holy name. And whereas I could have spent on my first uh, uh, day on the job uh, speaking of the circumcision, I felt like it would be a little awkward, and so I'm going to spend a little bit more time discussing the feast of the holy name of Jesus. And there's three main things I want to talk about today. First off, God cares about names. Secondly, God cares about His name. And then third, God has granted and given His name to Jesus. And so that's what we'll discuss today. So God cares about names. In fact, when we look at the Holy Scriptures, we see God himself treat names with, with high importance. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, we see God naming. In Genesis 1 verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day. He named it. He labeled it. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. What we see happening in Genesis is God speaks, 
He names and things come about. God, who cannot lie when he speaks, things happen. Things are created. And this is what we see happen in Genesis 1. God tells us elsewhere in Scripture, in Isaiah uh, chapter 55, he says to us, So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For God, words and names have creative power because God as creator, he speaks and it comes to pass. God who cannot and does not lie speaks and says things that will come to pass no matter what. God says he names and it is. So this is first off how we know that God cares about names because we see him naming and then secondly, we realize God cares about names because he has delegated this task to human beings. Human beings name. In Genesis chapter 2, one chapter after God named and creates the whole cosmos, we see in Genesis 2 and verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So human, human being, the, the first man, as animals are brought to them, he speaks what, what comes as he sees them. And that was the name, the label that portrays this, this whatever beast or bird or, or whatnot that he would see. He was given this task of naming everything, accurately labeling everything. And what's interesting is that this task is even given to other human beings. You see, uh, his counterpart, the woman that God himself had crafted, was brought forth to him, and he says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called or named woman. And he gives the rationale, because she was taken out of man. Mankind is given the task of naming the, 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 the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, and even other human beings. And we see this borne out in, in matrimony today, where uh, traditionally the husband takes the name, or, or the, the wife takes the name of the husband, and there, this new family that's formed has one new name. We see this when mother and father are, try to come together and name a child, and the mother wants to name the child after a plant of some sort, and the father uh, allows that to happen and gives up his dream of having a child named after Viking warriors. <laughs> and this task to name is extends to children. We see in Scripture, Abram is named by his parents. Abram means exalted father. What's interesting is that Abram in his life, prior to the Lord's intervention, does not have any natural children of his own. Jacob... Uh, Abram's uh, grandson, na his name means heel. He was born after um, Esau, and he comes out of the womb gripping the, he the heel of Esau. And there's a theme throughout Jacob's life where he is at Esau's heel. The name heel had this kind of second secondary uh, meaning of treachery. So Jacob is always at the heels of Esau, and his name means heel. We see throughout Scripture the Hebrew people naming and conveying the brutal reality of the situation in their life. 
Ruth and her sister married two men named Maclon and Kilion, um, which properly defined means sickly and wasting away. And they were named in this time of famine, and they both die, um, which uh, is not too surprising, given that that was their name. In First Samuel, uh, a woman is giving birth, and she, right as she's doing so, discovers that her husband, her husband's father, uh, both die, and the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's glory resides, is stolen away by Israel's enemies. And what does she name her child? Ichabod, the glory has departed. The Hebrew people were honest with the names that they gave their offspring. And in our society today, we don't have the same view of names. Now, we do in some respects. We know that names are important. We pour tons of money into brand awareness, and yet there's this sense of which uh, it's just a name. It's just a life. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't make me who I am. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, but names can never hurt me. Juliet and Romeo and Juliet said, a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. Sometimes a rose by another name might be looked on with suspicion, especially if it was like stinky diaper. I mean, I just, I wouldn't trust it. Um, and there's a sense in which that's, it's not true. Names hurt. Anyone who's gone through middle school knows names, they hurt, they're painful. Man has been given this task of naming in Scripture, in reality. So God names, man names, and then God also renames. This is how we know that God cares about names. Abram, who was uh, childless and yet his name was exalted father, he's renamed Abraham, the father of a multitude of peoples and nations. God himself gives him this name, and God says, you're going to have as many offsprings as the stars of the heavens, as the sand on the seashore. And Abraham does have that many kids. God himself redirects Abraham's, Abraham's trajectory. Jacob himself, whose name meant heel or treachery, probably did not like his name that much. He has this lifelong uh, uh, treacherous relationship with his brother Esau, where he steals the birthright. He steals his place and, and, and uh, inheritance away from Esau because he is treacherous and at the heels of Esau his whole life. And at this moment where he's about to have a big conflict with his brother Esau, he stays up all night wrestling with a man that he later learns is God in bodily form. And he does not let this man go until he blesses him. And God in human form blesses him with a new name, Israel, the one who wrestles with God and prevails. And right after this, Israel reconciles with his brother Esau over many tears. God himself renames and gives a new trajectory to many in the Old Testament. So it's, it's apparent in Scripture that God cares about names. He does. Names are important. But even more than this, God cares about his own name. He cares about his own name. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses has this incredible account, encounter with God. And he asks God and says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What will I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then God further says, the Lord, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, all caps, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Now, L-O-R-D, Lord, is a placeholder covering up the divine name, which we don't entirely know how to pronounce. It, it's, it, it um, comes out in English, Y-H-W-H. People hypothesize it's pronounced Yahweh, but rendered in English, it means the one who is. I am that I am, the one who is. This is God's name. And what does it mean? It means that God's nature is existence. The scholastics um, said that God's essence is existence. God is the being, the one who is and who was and who is yet to come and is always. He is pure existence. In Revelation 1.8, we hear that uh, uh, God himself say, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's what God's name means. And God, in sharing his name this way, also is telling us about his relationship with his people. Since he always is, he will always be there for his people. He is always faithful. He is always trustworthy. He does not change. This is who God is for us. And God wants his name to be revered and wants everyone to know his name. It's his reputation. In Exodus 9, 16, God says, For this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God wants his name out there. God, in attacking and in assaulting Egypt, with the plagues, he over and over says, he is doing these things so that they may know that I am the Lord. He's saying, I'm doing this so that they will not forget my name. And the reason why is that God's name is more than just a name. In scripture, we see that God's name is his identity. It's his presence and it's his blessing. It's his identity. So in Psalm 20, verse 1, we hear, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. God is his name. In 1 Kings 9, 3, we hear God say, I have consecrated this house that you have built, that's the temple, by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. God's name is his presence. It's where God is. And God's name is his blessing. In Numbers 6, 27, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Where God's name is on people, they experience his favor and his blessing and his presence. God has tasked his people with guardianship of the holy name. In the Ten Commandments, God says, uh, do not take my name in vain. That means don't treat it loosely or irreverently or throw it around like it doesn't matter. 
Inversely, Jesus tells us to hallow God's name in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name, meaning treat it with holiness, set it apart, treat it with utmost respect and honor. Magnify the name. God wants us to guard and protect the holy name. And the people of God, uh, the people of God have done this through the centuries. We see, or we, we know through history that the Jewish people they did not pronounce the divine name. We don't have vowel markings for the divine name in Hebrew. That's why we don't entirely know how to pronounce it. We have our guesses, and they're good, but we don't entirely know. In the English Bible, we don't render the divine name there. We have the word L-O-R-D as a placeholder to protect and to revere the name of God. And we do this because God cares about his name. God cares about his name. And so it's shocking when we see that God himself grants and bestows his name on Jesus of Nazareth. God has given his name to Jesus. And this relates to today's, to today's text in Luke 2. Because we see in Luke 2, verse 21, this is what we hear. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, which is what we commemorate today, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. God the Father handpicked the name of Jesus to give to him. It wasn't picked by Joseph. It wasn't picked by Mary. It was picked by God. And God's, uh, 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 Jesus' name is, is revealed um, elsewhere in Matthew uh, 1, verse 21. An angel says to Joseph, She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus' name quite literally means the Lord saves. Yehoshua. It's actually the same name as Joshua. And it was a pretty common name in that day and age. The name Jesus, given to Jesus, shows us the trajectory that he is on. He will save God's people. And it's handpicked by God the Father. But there's more than, than just that going on. It's more than that God has chosen Jesus' name and handpicked Jesus' name. We see in elsewhere in Scripture, that God himself has granted the name, capital N, name, to Jesus. When St. Paul is he's recounting what I believe is an early creed in the church in Philippians 2, he talks about um, Jesus who was in the form of God, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself, taking the form of a servant in human form, and then uh, being obedient to the point of death on a cross. This is Philippians 2. Paul tells us after this that, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is L-O-R-D. God has bestowed the name on Jesus. Interestingly enough, when we read elsewhere in the Gospel of John, we learn that 
Jesus actually already possessed the name before that. We see actually in John 8, verse 57 through 58, Jesus speaks of Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus says over and over again, I am. When Jesus wants to calm the disciples while he's walking on water, he says, take heart, I am. When the Pharisees ask Jesus, are you the son of God? He says, I am. Jesus is the divine name. Jesus, therefore, as God in the flesh, as God incarnate, shares the name with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we ourselves can safely call on the name of Jesus. We can call on Jesus' name because there's power in the name. There's power within the name of Jesus. And this is relevant to us today for many different reasons. First off, there's salvation found in the name of Jesus. We see in Acts 4, verse 12, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today is New Year's Day. And there might be some of you who do not know where you stand with God. If you question where you stand with Him, you, you can resolve today to call on the name of of Jesus. You can do so right now. Salvation is open to you. And you can know that you know that you are saved by grace through faith through the powerful name of Jesus. So there's power within the name because it brings salvation, but there's also power within the name because it brings about answered prayers. So in John 14, 13, we hear Jesus himself tell us, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he reiterates, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus tells us that in his name, if we come before the Father, we have power, we have access to the Father. God hears our prayers uniquely at the powerful name of Jesus, because Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords, by invoking his name, God hears us, and we can know we are heard, and God can answer prayers through the name of Jesus. Now, if we have called on the name of Jesus for salvation, we know that there's power in the name because we have his name written on us. In Revelation 14, verse, uh, verse 1, we actually hear, I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. That's, that's Jesus. And with him, 144,000. This is a reference to the people of God, the faithful, who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. You see, if you are saved by Jesus, I want you to know that you have his name on your heads. You are branded. You have a new identity. You have a new trajectory. Like Abraham, who was renamed by God and given a new destiny, so you have a new destiny. If you've called on the name of Jesus and you have his powerful name written on your heart and on your mind. 
Finally, we know there's power in the name because in the end, we will all fall on our knees at the utterance, at the simple utterance of the name of Jesus. One of my favorite passages is in John 18. And there's a crowd gathered to arrest Jesus and to bring him away to eventually crucify him. They're led by Judas. And when this crowd shows up, Jesus boldly asks them, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. In Greek, it's literally, I am. And we hear in verse 6, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. You might recall in Philippians chapter 2, we hear that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every, every tongue will confess and swear allegiance that Jesus is Lord. At Jesus' name, we will all do like these men and bow, whether willingly or not. We will bow at the name of Jesus. And we Anglicans actually have a history of, of a devotional practice that lived in, uh, throughout even the, the English Reformation where in our services at the creed and in certain prayers, we would bow to the name of Jesus. So when we hear, and I, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, we would bow. And I would commend to you to bow at the mention of the holy name of Jesus to protect and honor and guard His name. God has granted his name to Jesus. And this is why we honor and revere his holy and powerful name today. So when Juliet asks, what's in a name? We all should and we can respond much more than you might think. You might be aware. We realize through scripture and just through life that names have power, significance, and they often define who we are. And in particular with the name of Jesus, it's in Jesus's name. It's Jesus's name, first off, that shows us and unveils who he is. Through Jesus's name, we find salvation. In Jesus's name, we can act, thank, and pray to God and be heard. And in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue swear allegiance at the mention of the holy name of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please stand.